wisdom rise ancestors surround us rise. welcome to advancing the art of aging i'm carol silver elliot president and ceo of the jewish home family a continuum of services for older adults located in northern new jersey And I am delighted today that we have as our guest, Teresa Edelstein, who is the Senior Vice President of the New Jersey Hospital Association, and I have to say a great friend to both me and to this organization, as well as just about every other organization I can possibly think of. Teresa, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thanks for having me, Carol. It's a pleasure. So Teresa does a tremendous number of things with the New Jersey Hospital Association and beyond. And some some point in time, we're going to sit and talk about the COVID experience with her because Teresa did not miss a beat any day of the entire three years that we all struggled through pandemic. But today I want to talk about something that I think is a little more future focused, and that's a very special project that's called LEAD, all caps, L-E-A-D. And Teresa has been the leader of LEAD in the state of New Jersey, and the Jewish Home family is thrilled to be a part of it. But Teresa, can you give us a little background on LEAD and how you got involved with it? Um, Sure. So uh, back in, I guess it was um, mid last year, AARP and Meritus Health, which is based in Maryland, um, put together a regional collaborative uh, with states uh, including Maryland, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Virginia, the District of Columbia, and invited New Jersey to join this regional group um, that's focusing on uh, diversity and equity. And LEAD stands for Leaders in Equity and Diversity. And our CEO at NJHA, Kathleen Bennett, asked me to get involved in leading a group of New Jersey uh, providers who would focus on equity and diversity issues for older adults specifically. Um, So I was very honored to be asked to do this and reached out uh, within our membership to see which organizations would have an interest in joining such a regional collaborative. Uh, Many of the participants from the other states are acute care hospitals. So New Jersey's group brings a distinctly different uh, perspective to the work because uh, along with Jewish Home Family, we have Spring Point Senior Living, Kessler Institute for Rehabilitation, and Bergen Newbridge Medical Center, all of which serve uh, older adults in their communities in a variety of ways. Um, Some do independent housing, uh, as well as assisted living and skilled nursing. Some have community-based services like outpatient rehabilitation, um, as well as inpatient rehab hospital services. Uh, Bergen-Newbridge in particular has a very um, specific focus on mental health services in an outpatient environment, as well as inpatient. So each of the organizations brings their own expertise and tradition of excellence to this work. Um, and New Jersey is really focusing um, on the uh, on adults older than 50. Um, 
so that that really was the genesis of it last year. And uh, we have been, the group of providers in New Jersey has really been working hard and making great strides um, in their in their efforts so far. So the lead project, I, I have found it to be very intriguing in terms of the wide variety of providers that are represented sort of in the swath of the East Coast where most of us are located. It's it's really a very unique project in that people are going a lot of different directions and yet coming together around the the really the objectives around equity and diversity. Would would you say that um, this is a project that really represents a transition in terms of the way we look at community care? It sort of feels that way to me. Uh, I think that's really a good way of putting it. Uh, I, the, the work is really focused on looking at new partnerships, new opportunities, really digging into those community connections that we haven't as healthcare and social service providers maybe not typically thought about. So reaching really into the um, senior centers, grocery stores, um, hair salons, places where people go and gather as part of their normal everyday life. So I really do think it's a a transition from the more typical provider to provider type of outreach that we do uh, as part of our normal cadence of work and really getting more um, engaged at uh, a very grassroots level with members of the community in places where they naturally um, engage with each other and uh, receive other types of services that are not health or social service related. I think that's the thing that has struck me the most as we've worked on this project. You know, I, I went, as you did, to the full day training that took place several months ago. And one of the stories that so stuck in my head that one of the health systems was sharing was about COVID testing and COVID vaccines and recognizing that they were in their community like every other community, I think, in the nature, in the nation, I should say, offering drive-up, drive-up testing, drive-up vaccine, drive-up everything. And they, they were concerned that their numbers were not what their numbers should have been. And the light bulb went off for them, and they realized that many people in their catchment area didn't drive. So how do you have a drive-up service when you have a population of people who can't drive? And for me, that was one of those moments that said, whoa, you know, we have to flip the equation and we have to look at our population in terms of what they need. And it's much what you just said about provider and, and provider-to-provider traditional referral relationships and recognize that that's not where it is. Where it is 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 looking at the community and meeting their needs in a different way. Yeah, absolutely. I, I remember from that session also uh, an anecdote about, uh, I think it was the hospital system, realizing that some of the members of the community needed access to laundry detergent. Yeah. And, you know, typically, certainly that's not something a, a hospital or any healthcare provider would do. But that was the need that got identified. So they went ahead and did it. And that builds 
trust and rapport and helps people feel that what they really need is is being heard and then responded to. And the creativity that comes along with that in recognizing that we can actually step outside of the normal confines of what we do every day, maybe not all of the time, but at least some of the time to really get to an, an identified need and develop a, the kind of relationship that just extends then into the future and has members of the community looking to you as, uh, as an organization as more than just the bricks and mortar of your, of your building, your nursing home, your, your independent living environment, or whatever it is that you, that you offer more typically. They, they see you as part of them. And I think that's really what we're driving towards. I, I think it's a real reflection of where we're going in healthcare in this country, too. You know, we talk a lot in elder care services about aging in community. We don't longer say age in place, we say age in community because that's what people prefer. So if you take that to the natural extension, if our work is to support that aging in community, then we have to change the way we think, don't we? Absolutely, we do. And uh, we, we're all aging in community, every single one of us every day. Um, so it, it isn't, uh, there isn't the dichotomy uh, between us and the people who are aging. We, we all are aging mm -hmm. in community and want to be able to feel that way uh, as the years go by. For sure. So tell us a little bit about the kinds of projects that the collaborative is working on and any of the other lead projects that you found particularly intriguing, if you would. So, well, starting with the New Jersey group, um, Kessler Institute, for example, identified in their outpatient rehabilitation settings, lymphedema patients who um, are in need of specialized garments and other supplies to assist with management uh, of their lymphedema. Lymphedema is just a, um, it's a medical term for when a, a person accumulates uh, fluid in their lymph nodes and joints, uh, usually associated with a cancer diagnosis. And it's very painful, difficult to manage. So what Kessler identified was a number of their outpatients couldn't afford uh, these specialized garments on supplies and their insurance uh, was not able to cover it for a whole variety of reasons. Um, so they've now partnered with the National Lymphedema Network, which uh, is an organization that provides through charitable donations, these important supplies that enhance quality of life for these patients who otherwise would not have access to them. So th this is really, it's a very small a uh, very specific population, but wow, what a difference this is going to make Huge, in the yeah. lives of those patients. Um, uh, uh, Springpoint is bringing uh, primary medical services, uh, mobile services to their independent living buildings uh, throughout the state. Um, these are affordable senior housing uh, buildings that they, they operate. And there are a lot of barriers for some of the residents in those buildings to get out into the community for medical appointments. And so sometimes they will forego very important primary and preventive services. 
Uh, so through a partnership uh, with Claire Medical, um, they are bringing the primary care and diagnostic services to those buildings. So again, this is another instance where the housing provider has been able to see the barriers to access that their residents are experiencing and responding to it in a, in a very different and creative way. Um, and then uh, Bergen Newbridge uh, is working through its age-friendly communities uh, in Bergen County and um, establishing different screenings and needs assessments and uh, speakers and also delivering primary care type services in grocery stores in the Bergen County area. So they, they have a very wide variety of things that they're doing, um, but all outside of their normal um, settings of care. So they're going into the community. And of course, Carol, you can talk if you'd like mm -hmm. uh, better than I about what you all are doing. Um, that is, establishing new partnerships and new directions. Yeah, it's, um, you know, our project is really about improving access and improving health education and information for our community. And I will tell you that in the past, our protocol would have been, we're going to offer you a program on one of our campuses, come on in. Or we might go to a senior center and give a one-hour lecture but our hope is that with a six-session program, we are going to cover key elements of the body's major systems and not just educate people, but also do screenings that are associated with those various bodily functions and illnesses so that we get a sense of what people need and what will help them to stay healthy and connected. And our intent is that we build over the course of time a core group that, that goes to all of the programs and learns all along the way. One of the things that we've been trying to do is to incorporate what we call the social determinants of care in this. So to really look at what are those factors that you were talking about it before that go way beyond the world of healthcare, but yet have an incredible impact on people's health. So when we did our first program, we did it in terms of a questionnaire asking people about some of those social determinants. And I can tell you, I realized that we have to ask those questions um, in a much more personal way. You know, I, I gave one of the participants the questionnaire that asks about things like food insecurity and do you feel safe in your home and are you worried that you might not have a place to live? And the poor lady was just like, oh, these are all no, and was quite not put out, but offended a little bit, I think, by that we would even ask her those questions. So that was a big learning for us. You know, we're very used to handing you the document and you answer the questions. And the right. truth is, we have to actually sit and say, you know, how are things in, in your life? You know, how, what's your living situation like? And gather that information rather than expecting that someone's just going to volunteer it. And so that was, that was a... Um, a good change, I think, for us going forward. So we did our first program was about mental health, and then we'll be also working on um, your eyes and doing vision screenings, your heart. Um, 
We'll talk about medications, we'll talk about fitness, and we'll talk about nutrition. And in each of those programs, we hope to really connect with people at a, at a deeper level and, and, and really start a conversation that's going to continue. But I will say um, this is really opening a door not just to our community in a different way, but maybe more importantly to the organization and the way that we look at community. And that, I think, is sort of what you and I have been talking about is is flipping the equation that says it's not about here we are, come to us, we'll get, we'll take care of you, but rather we need to go to you and see what you need. And we need as providers to think about how we better support you in your setting, not necessarily just in ours. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And I and I think your point about how we get the information about what the person is experiencing it is so critical um, because some of those questions, they are very personal, but they're so essential to understand the answer to because we all know that social risk factors affect both physical and mental health. And if they're not addressed, uh, can lead someone in, into a, a healthcare crisis that they might be, have been able to avoid. Um, so really honing our skills on how we get that information um, and develop that, that trust and rapport with the individual uh, so that they can and will open up uh, about things that may feel a little uncomfortable, um, you know, is really, is really an important key to this. And it will take it will take time and energy and, uh, and commitment um, and, a, and a bit of persistence, I think. Yeah, I think um, so. I agree. I, you know, it's interesting. I mean, we've been working with elder abuse victims here since 2015. So it's an area we're very familiar with. And as you know, we have an elder abuse shelter here at the Jewish home. And when we deliver hot holiday meals on wheels, which we do three times a year, we, in the past, before COVID, we would say to our volunteers, here's a checklist, go into the home, have a conversation, When obviously when the community elder allows, but look around and see what you see, you know? Does the person look like they're in need of some additional support? Is there... Is there food? What's the household look like? And have a conversation about their living environment and who supports them and who cares for them. Because in that way, we were able to identify people who were at risk. But handing them a questionnaire, despite the fact that we thought we were really efficiently gathering data, was clearly not the way. And so that was, it's just a very interesting observation, I think, to, to recognize that this is going to take time and that we have to get to know these people. This is not just data collection. It's easy for me to collect data on your blood pressure, right? Sit down, give me your right. arm. But it's not so easy for me to collect data on what's really going on. Are you safe in your life? Do you have enough to eat? Do you have the me your medicine when you need it? You know, those kinds of things. So that was a big eye opener for us, I think. Yeah, I, you know, I, I agree. And I think the, uh, the, uh, the other important piece is in the community is, is really the best place to get um, the information and the understanding because 
we don't want the first time someone is ever asked about some of these things to be when they are in an emergency room um, or in a hospital because there are other things taking precedence in their mind and in the mind of the caregivers in those settings. It would be so much better if the person was known already um, and there was an awareness of what else was going on in their life because someone else had touched their life and shared the information um, ahead of time. So I think this, this work also is sort of begging us as healthcare providers to communicate better with one another as well. As we learn things, as we know we share um, common communities and people in those communities who travel through our doors and back out again, that we, that we do a better job and, and make more of an effort to share that non-healthcare information, which can be just as important as their vital statistics. Absolutely well said. I think that's where the work has to begin. You know, we, we say it all the time here about getting to know our elders and the deep knowing that's so important to recognize need, but it goes way beyond that to knowing what else is out there and how else we meet people's needs going forward. Teresa, what's going to happen after the first year of LEAD? I know this is a one-year project. What happens after that? So, I, you know, I think the goal is for this work to get embedded in the organizations uh, that have participated so that they themselves will spread the work within their organizations, but even more so within their communities and start to share with other uh, organizations, what they've been able to accomplish and, and, and get more engagement to occur. Um, I, I'm pretty sure that um, Meredith Health and AARP would like to publish some of the findings and achievements from the collaborative, mm. which, would, uh, which would be another way of spreading the word and motivating and inspiring other organizations throughout the country, really, to uh, to try some of this work, right? Um, so I, you know, I think uh, that that's really the goal is to be able to quantify and demonstrate the impact, uh, and to then spread the work and spread the initiative, um, and and really embed it in our in our healthcare delivery system and beyond. I, I think that's great. And Teresa, on that note, I think there's not much more that we could say on this. It's looking towards the future in a way that's going to improve care and health, I hope, for, for all. And that's great. Thank you so much for spending time with us today. And I look forward to continuing the conversation on lots of other topics with you. Thank you, as always, for being such a great friend to not just the Jewish Home family, but to all of our long-term care providers in New Jersey. Oh, thanks for having me, Carol. It's been uh, great to talk with you about this. All of the children rise, elders with wisdom rise, ancestors surround us rise.